Welcome to the Good Rookies Podcast. My name is Fahim. And my name is Nelly J, y'all. And we are Good Rookies. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Happy Good Tuesday. And guess what? It's episode 97. 97. Nine. Seven. Your seven, as y'all know, is my favorite number. Okay. And today we have an amazing guest. I'm so excited to dive into what he's been doing this entire MLB. And this guy is busy, eh? So I'm happy you have him on the podcast today. Please introduce who we got. All right. We got somebody who wears clearly many different hats, um, who's on the pulse of what's happening. A lot of things may be happening that. Um, he's privy to, and it's going to be great when we get to the Florida culture segment. We can really double down in regards to all the amazing things he's doing. Let's welcome Chris Henderson to the podcast today. See you See you See you 1997 was a good year, man. 1997 was a good year, by the way. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. You know, I'm happy to be a part of the part of the process that, that y'all are taking, man, in y'all's journey, man. And one day I'll look up and say, hey, when everything, when y'all are official big time, then I'm going to say, hey, I was, I was on episode 97. Episode. <laughs> well, Hendo, you're someone that a lot of us creators look up to uh, in this space. So we're just happy to have you on here, pick your brain, talk about your journey. Because people always say, oh, like, they see where you, where you are now, but they don't know about how you got there, right? So I can't wait to get into it. But, you know, you're a Dallas guy, right? You support Dallas. That's your team, the Mavericks. I got to ask you, because I've heard some different options. What's your thoughts on this, first of all, Christian Wood pickup? And were you surprised that Dallas made it, made it to the Western Conference Finals? Like, was it something that you predicted or you thought they overachieved? What are your thoughts on that entire situation? Yeah, I'll start with the mass playoff run. Uh, just, you know, for me, it was about, you know, the, when you guys are talking about culture. And um, Jason Kidd brings a different culture to the scene. I've known Jason for many years. And, uh, you know, Rick Carlisle was an acquired taste, right? And I always said that if they got the right coach in, this team – they would overachieve in a way because they would play a different to a different beat. So you know they would play to a different sound. And um, Jason Kidd, he uh, motivated guys. He held guys accountable. Not saying Rick Carlisle didn't, but I think there's a respect level for Jason Kidd, and that translated over in the season. Um, this team made a big trade in the trade deadline that many people deemed as a loss because you know Kristaps Porzingis, who you gave a max deal. He didn't work out with the injuries and just certain things that you heard on and off the court. And um, you took the lesser, right? You took Spencer Dinwiddie back and Divers Bertans, who watched and wanted no parts. And I called that at that point, like, you got to wash your hands. I said, they make it win a series, but then you go into the playoffs. Luka gets hurt right before the playoffs. Last game of the year, he gets hurt. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, boy. They may not get out the first round. And, you know, Jalen Brunson, who's playing for a, a max contract or at least a nice contract, he gets you over one game. And I thought after that first game, they had a chance to go ahead and do it. And Utah was in a bad spot. And honestly, I didn't think they were going to be Phoenix. I just thought that with everything that we've seen in the past with those two teams, they didn't match up good. But mm -hmm. Phoenix, you know, they just they, – they didn't play well. And credit to Dallas. I won't say in that point they overachieved, but I do think the expectation level – maybe a little too much for this team. And I mean, look, you got a guy like Luca, you expect greatness, right? But this is still a team that is trying to figure out pieces or who's going to be in and out, which translates over to a guy like Christian Wood. Um, you know, for me, the Mavs need a big man. You know, I've, I, I like Dwight Powell. He's a hard worker. You know, he's a very good locker room guy. I, I think you keep him on the team as a, a core guy, maybe not for the same amount of money that a lot of people complain about, but you need a dog, right? You need somebody that can go out there and get you 17 and 10. I mean, the dude average 17, 10 or 17, 12, whatever it was on that Houston team. And if he can get a chance to play with a guy like Luca, the potential is there. I like the trade. You didn't give up any guys that were rotational guys. Um, love Trey Burke, what he did in the bubble, but Trey Burke wasn't a rotational guy all the time later after that bubble run that they had a few years ago. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, Boban is a culture guy, right, for that team. He's like Luca's big brother, right? And mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think they, they, I got a theory of who they're going to bring in to replace that. But um, yeah, you gave up three guys that probably wouldn't even make your rotation on any other sort of championship team. And also, you gave up a pick that, look, Dallas history on drafting outside of getting Luca hasn't been the greatest. So <laughs> I looked at number 26 and said, well, Christian Wood, who's better at number 26 than Christian Wood who gives you 17 12? So I like the move. Um, I think that. 
they're not done. Um, Nico Harrison, ladies and gentlemen, you know, a black GM who I, you know, gotta we gotta give him credit because when he got that job, people called him a shoe salesman. And they were making because he was a Nike guy. He had been with Nike all those years. Yeah. Nobody wanted to give him a chance. And Nico Harrison has done a, a marvelous job with what he had to work with in this Mavs roster. He had to get rid of a bad contract or two. And he's not done. He's going to be a guy that when you talk about that culture thing that we're going to talk about, he understands that. I mean, he's a guy that has those relationships. God rest Kobe Bryant. He was a part of that campaign to bring Kobe back into Nike and different things. So mm-hmm. you got to be like that young black guy, successful. Players are one of the going to come here. I mean, obviously you saw the rumor with Kyrie, right? Yeah. I imagine two years ago, the Dallas Mavericks are not one of those teams mentioned. So I like the move for Christian Wood. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, actually, when I saw it, I said, good job, Dallas. Wow. Great. Great pickup. I agree. So. Um, I'm, I've always been big on Christian Wood. Um, only th- here's, so, here's my only take on this is Luke. Okay. Obviously no one does it alone. You know, um, we're in the, 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 the place of like, you know, duos and big threes. So Luca and uh, Chris App Porzingis in theory would, would be good, but Chris Tapps didn't end up being the second option you'd hope for Luca. Um, getting Christian Wood, it's a great move, but I still don't think pairing Luca with a Christian Wood, I don't think Christian Wood is enough, uh, like as a second option. You know what I mean? So if what you're saying is Dallas is making moves, um, I'm hoping that that move is getting a real legitimate number two option um, because I think Christian Wood ideally would be a number three option, much like maybe a Chris Bosch yeah. to a LeBron and Wade, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I like Christian Wood. He's, he's you know, he's taken the longer route. You know what I'm saying? He, 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 uh, I guess I, I guess what I got to say with Christian Wood is he, he didn't come out as a highly touted pick. But then after really made his grind and then ma- and he's legitimately um, that kind of 20 and 10 guy, I think. Um, and I think paired with Luca, it would work. But I still Not think just Luca, Spencer, Dinwiddie, Jill. Like, I just think right. that, you know, we saw the Bucks do it with just one star and amazing role player. So I don't think mm. that Luca needs to have like a certified number two. But if you can get mm. three great number three, mm. ama- like, like consistent role player, that's all he really needs. Right. Mm-hmm especially defensively too so like i think they're on the right path to be honest especially right. if they can get you know um the, like like spencer tuned up like i don't know they, they're building i've seen the culture being built so to mm-hmm. your point like so i don't think you like i think people are so tied up on the, the the superstar team that we saw with like other guys but i think normally teams aren't win that way they win with one great star and then three solid consistent role players and I think mm-hmm. Dallas is going that path because Dallas is not going to land huge stars like that, right? right. They're not going to do that. So you need three guys that you know can drop at least 15 or plus every night to help Luca out. So if he's off, Spencer, Brunson, whoever else can step up, right? And a, um, and go ahead, urgency. And a yeah. sense of urgency as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you – like Toronto did something when they won that championship, right? They said, we got to win now. When I, They had to strike, right? They had to strike when it was hot. Like they got Kawhi, and he had to say, "Hey, man, we got to salvage that relationship." Or we we love Demar Derozan, but we can't win a championship with that guy. They had to go get a guy, right? So right. the Mavs' approach is that, hey, everybody is tradable, not named Luca. And I think right. that we're starting to see that in the past. Donnie Nelson was a guy that was about, hey, keeping guys and let's make it work or figure out how to make it work. And you know, Nico comes here in the first full season, he's able to trade one of the worst contracts in basketball. Uh-huh. So. So, yeah, it's just – it's a dynamic thing. And, yeah, Christian Wood has some things to answer to as well. Like I said, yeah. great player, but there are some off-the-court things or even on-the-court things mm-hmm. that are questionable. And I think a lot of that has to do with culture, environment in Houston. Um, not wanting – you know, Houston had no admirations of winning. So, you know, yeah. and, you know, he's had his – quote-unquote, there's people out there that say he had issues before he got drafted. Then he goes to Detroit, had issues, Houston. I think that going to a winning situation, once again, Detroit's not a winning situation at the time. You know, mm-hmm. Houston's definitely not a winning situation right now. Dallas is a team that's coming from the rest of the conference finals with a guy that he grew up probably watching playing basketball and Jason right. Kidd. So there's going to be some respect there. I think Jason Kidd is going to demand out of him, and I think that that's a good thing. And if it doesn't work, guess what? He's an aspiring contract. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so Chris, I just I don't have an answer for this, so I'm asking is maybe you can help me out. Here's my real mm-hmm. quick question. Um, a healthy Chris Porzingis. Mm-hmm. Or a healthy Christian Wood. 
which one to me i think we're looking at much of the same player but can you think of maybe one's better than the other are we are do they wash each other out i think real quick. Go, i think kp i mean yeah. i mean kp is a he's an extreme talent the issue mm-hmm. with kp is there's some you know Mental. i think some letdowns with the health and also mm-hmm. like that off the court stuff some things with him exactly right he, not he doesn't focused. understand he may not be the guy so i said right. KP. KP okay does. Yeah, honestly, I think sometimes mentally people just don't fit. And it's okay. Just because you're both talented doesn't mean you guys can actually play together. And I think we've seen this happen. Many experiments happened last season and they fumbled. Now we're seeing guys leaving teams. Like, just because the talent is there doesn't mean that they can click you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And work together cohesively. The Warriors make it look so easy, but it ain't. The Raptors make it look easy. The Bucks do, but it right. ain't that easy, y'all. The culture got to be there first before you do that stuff. That's I think fair. Dallas now has it, finally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, All right. So, Sihano, I got uh, – you're definitely tapped in when it comes to gaming, right? And um, me, not so much. Maybe back in the day, you know? So that's why I want to pick your brain a little bit in regards to the esports. Yeah. It's, it, it's nothing new. It's been around, I, I'm guessing, more than 10, maybe 10, 15 years. It's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. But we're at a point right now where it's approaching a – billion dollar industry school me like how do we get here well i mean the things that we were told as kids you know when we sat on the video game for three or four hours our parents said that's not gonna make you money you need to read a book that's changed um you know when you have the technology that we have now to where i can you know you can be in canada i could be in texas and we can play video games with compete at a high level versus each other. You know, you see behind me, there's a PS5 and the Xbox Series X right there. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, gaming has brought a lot of great things in my life, even covering sports, because that bridges the gap, right? But with this esports thing is, there's people out there that, that weren't great athletes, but they know how to play a video game. There's guys out there that know how to play Madden, but couldn't tell you how to do a press coverage in real life. Um, and it's a competitive thing. And I'm not going to call it, obviously, it's an electronic sport, um, but it's coming to the point now, like, you know, I'm in the DFW area, so I'm in between Dallas and Fort Worth, and about 10 minutes from me, right next to Cowboy Stadium, they have an arena called the Esports Arena. It's a big arena. It's like a stadium. Wow. It's called the Esports Arena. And you go in there, it looks like a dome, and <laughs> it has lap monitors everywhere. It looks like you're in a spaceship. But, um, yeah, it's to that point. And, and the thing is this, man, it encourages people that that's career opportunities, man. You may not have a person that can be a doctor. You may not have a person that can cover sports. You may not have a journalist, but you may have somebody that's so gifted at video games, you can make money off of it. And I encourage, you know, like, you know, parents to understand that, yeah, it could be detrimental to a lot of different things. But for the most part, if the kid does have a passion, turn that passion into a, a career for them. Because, look, a guy like Ninja, you know, you got all these, you know, Tim the Tab Man, you got all these gamers that are making millions upon and millions of bucks, you know, playing video games. And we were told as kids, video games are the worst thing that you have, right? And right. now it's like, you know, video games are a key thing. And look, if you, in sports in particular, you know, there's NBA teams with esports teams. Every NBA team has an esports team. So they got a 2K right. league. You know, you got, they do drafts every year. These guys go into a nice house, all five or six of them. They live in a house together, room and board, get a salary just like an NBA player, and they travel and play games. So, you know, imagine that. So, yeah, esports is a, is a big business. And I think, honestly, it just brings out the competitive spirit in everybody because everybody wants to compete. And, like, not everybody's physically gifted, man. The guy that was 5'5 five, five can't play against a 6'8 LeBron James. But guess what? I can make me a 6'3 player in that my park. And I'm gonna go to work on you. So you know, it's just it's just one of those things where like it's it's a blessing in disguise. And I think that honestly, I wish our grandparents, my grandparents, were around to see this because you know, as a kid, I was told, man, you play too many video games. But boy, It'll that might your brain. Crazy now, right? Remember, It'll fry your brain too much video game. All that yeah. stuff they say. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So I, I'm a trivia for y'all. Um, tell me, or can you guys guess what was the first esport game, video game? When you think was the first, first video game? First, like esports, um, like so I know the first e- video game competition on record. Oh, um, year well, you want right? Video game, yeah. Under, under esports, yeah, I mean, yeah. The first side, sh- yeah. So this is the so it's it's from the history of esports, and so they talk about it's yeah. from AmericanEsports.net. 
Yeah. So the first, uh, I guess, remember, because esports is competition. So the first, I guess, right. c- competitive video game right. ever. Like, it's, it's a league, right? Right. It's a league. Right. F- first official uh, video game. Mm-hmm. So I could, now I'm thinking because I could be wrong, but I was at a, a convention and this was in Dallas. It's called QuakeCon. Um, actually, I had to. I would have wore a shirt today. That would have been ironic if I don't actually, actually had it on. Really. <laughs> um, if it wasn't like Halo or something like that, um, ooh, it was not definitely a sports game. It was actually a shooter. No, it, it wasn't oh. a sports game. So I'll give yeah. you. So it was more of a. It was a. It was a competition game, and mm. the the so. So the first esport game came out first, and then the first nationwide competition, uh, which was space, it was called Space Invaders competition. It was nationwide in the states. So, wow, yeah, and and that's the thing. Esports just isn't about you know sports because a lot of people get it. They think, yes, hey, they I gotta think go play just, Madden or Two K, yeah, but the not. biggest games you got Fortnite, Apex, Halo. Look, man, I, I went to an esports. I was like, I told you, the arena's not too far from me. I went in there one day, man, and this kid was in there playing Halo, and I was just like, this is this is insane. <laughs> he was eight years old, and I asked his mom, I said, how good is, like, how good is he? She said, he's made roughly $20,000 this year. Wow. We about in March. He made $20,000 wow. playing that game. So, look, the opportunities are there. Um, one thing about being so, a part of so, esports, so, though. So hold on. Guess when it started, though, guys. I ain't getting any dates yet. Y'all didn't. Y'all. Y'all. Okay. Y'all, y'all ditching the, the year. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna throw a year out real quick. Okay. I'm gonna go with. I said earlier. I said 10, 15 years. Um, I could be way off. It's just so I'm gonna go with 2000. I'm gonna go with the first official esport, not sport, just esport. I'm gonna go with the year is 2009. That's my answer. Okay. Well, what about you, Chris? We got to think about online gaming. I'm going to say if it ain't 2009, it's between, it has to be 2010, 2011, 2010. For okay. Me. So I'm shocked, and I'm sure many people are shocked. The first esport ever was by at Stanford, 1972. The first competition. <laughs> well, I mean, that may, but see, yeah, that makes sense because, I mean, we've always had tournaments. It just wasn't Ex- classified. Yeah. Yeah, classified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the yeah. first like esport. Nationwide, ten thousand people was nineteen eighty. Yeah, eighty did, still. Yeah, wow. trust me. Again, yeah. like <laughs> I think because you know we grew up in video games and we're injuring ourselves here, but video games was, was around, like you know, there. But it's like it just shows you that you know in the states, Fahim, that thing they had it before we did, right? Because it started mm-hmm. in the states. In Canada, I think we were a bit later than you guys, Chris. Right. But yeah. in America, y'all had that of course in certain areas and it just blew up so from 1980 let's say the first competition and now it's a billion dollar industry that's wild mm-hmm. right yeah. and and so the top esport game uh with the highest revenue um is actually dota out of that game yeah, dota, dota, know dota. It. yeah they got a dota one you dota, know dota, dota two yeah, okay yeah. so that has 20 million in, yes. in terms of esport hours yes. right second to it though which you're probably aware because this is you fifa 22 Yes, um, so those are the top two, um, like watched most watched games, and then Apex and Grand Theft. What I can't believe, Chris, is I remember when Twitch first came out, you know, during a pandemic, it was, but when they added the video game, like the gamer to Twitch, like they blew the hell up. Not because I remember I, I learned from, I learned about Twitch through like, you know, um, DJing and events, right? You know, but then. I didn't know how many gamers play on Twitch and make lots of money just playing on Twitch. Wow. It's crazy. So Mm -hmm. like Chris, you've been a part of this. So like, what was the biggest thing that pushed esports to the next level? Was it athletes playing it more? Was it just celebrities involvement? Was it the gaming, the game itself? What, what do you think made it blow up to the point where it's now like billion dollar industry? Honestly, money. Um, money brings everything, right? I think at the end of the day, when you can tell someone you're good at this game, but what if I told you you could play in a tournament and make 50 grand mm-hmm. and you're changing people's livelihoods and different things of like that? Like, you know, I got friends that are in these sports that play Madden, that mm-hmm. play Apex. And the thing is, like, they these, these are people that used to clock in for a job. And wow. yeah, now it's a job for them. And different things, but think about it. You can do two tournaments yourself for the rest of the year financially for that year. So, you know, I think money is the root of that. And um, 
like I said, when you go to some of these events, when they're telling you, hey, man, you come to an event that has maybe 10 people playing, you're, you can win $10,000. If you're that good, you go in there confidently, that's $10,000. And that's, I think money bring, brings that to there. And that's why it did grow like that because, you know, companies invest into it. Like, look, the NBA, once again, every team has an esports team for NBA 2K. Think about the money you put mm -hmm. in that. You're getting five or six guys and you're paying them roughly 75 to 100 grand to come play for your esports team. Imagine as a, as a kid, somebody told you, well, if you didn't make the basketball team, you can still play on the Dallas Mavericks. But guess what? You're on their esports team. And they right. go through a draft. They go through all the process as an actual player. They train. They do all this stuff. So diet, like, believe it or not, that's a huge thing. Like, mm -hmm. you don't need anybody playing the game that's, that's hungry, right, or tired falling asleep playing the game. So, like, yeah, money, money brought that to there. And, like, the revenue is there because, like, gaming is a huge industry. I mean, we know about how the video game, uh, I quote-unquote, community crashed. Mm -hmm. That happened before. But gaming is at an all-time high. And, obviously, like you mentioned, when COVID came, it really changed everything because people were at home. Like, yeah. I remember people that used to laugh when they come over because they see all these game systems behind me. And they say, oh, man, you still play video games. But guess what? COVID <laughs> happened. You couldn't go nowhere. Next right. thing you know, everybody's buying PlayStation. Hey, man, you getting on Call of Duty tonight. <laughs> I don't even play as much as the people that do that. So it's a livelihood. It, you know, I encourage, mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, for us being black, black women in particular in the gaming community, it's a market for that. And it's, you know, the benefits are there. Like I said, I've done Twitch streaming before. I still do on occasions. I did a Twitch stream about four years ago and I didn't, my webcam was acting up and this guy jumps in and he's like, man, I love your stream. He said, what kind of camera are you using? I said, well, I'm using my actual, you know, Xbox camera, blah, blah, blah. I don't have a laptop yet. And I got a direct message from him. He says, do you have a, a PayPal? And I said, yeah. And I gave him my email, not thinking it was much of anything. This guy sent me $500. I never shook his hand before. Wow. And look, man, if I, I challenge anybody, go on Twitch. People get donations all day. I've seen people make in one day off of just donations $20,000, $15,000. I'm going to call my nephew want, right after people this. People want to see you play. <laughs> and they're rewarding you by, hey, man, I love the way you play this video game. I'm going to pay you and I'm going to subscribe to your channel. So, I tell anybody, it's not about being good either. It's also being charismatic on the mic. Some people can't play a lick of video games. But guess what? They get on that mic and they, they talk and they conversate with people. They look like the common person. You know, I can relate to him. Mm -hmm. It's money and opportunity there in that community. So, yeah, definitely. Wow, y'all, listen. I think Chris Prehim dropped so much knowledge on the value of esports. I don't think a lot of people even were aware about how you can make revenue from esports and the fact that it's like, you know, YouTube was a big thing, but it seems like esports and Twitch and these streaming sites have gotten, I mean, I know YouTube also has, um, I've seen, cause my nephew watches it, he plays Roblox. So I've seen him watch like people show them how to pass levels on this game and then he'll, he'll watch it and then he'll go and I'm like, and this, he's eight, okay, he's eight. So it just shows you that, you know, people are using YouTube and other places to just learn how to play these games and they're making money from this tutorial, just showing kids how to play. And he has like over thousands and thousands of views because all these eight-year-old kids want to play and, and beat this level. So you're right, it, it, it's growing. I know kids now, most kids under the age of eight are all have their own tablet and they all play video games. So imagine what they're going to see. We're seeing this now, guys. Mm -hmm. Imagine what they're going to see. Right. Oh, trillion dollar industry, trillion dollar. Watch. So this Chris, uh, you were, you just mentioned about, you said you were on Twitch, was it four years ago you said, right? Yeah. Uh, which I honestly didn't hear about Twitch till the pandemic, you know? I was on Twitch probably 10 years ago. I just, oh, right. I, I just remember that scene from four years ago. Like it's always, it's been there. It's been there right. forever. Right. So um, that's cool that you're, that you're tapped in like that. Now, you also had mentioned about the donations. I find it interesting because um, uh, we discussed earlier about FIFA and how popular FIFA is for esports, right? The World yes. Cup is right around the corner. So just real quick, before we transition to, transition to our For the Culture segment, I want you to uh, just let me know, is there any correlation between what's happening in reality and on, I guess, esports? For instance, the World Cup's coming up. Um, would you expect 
a big bump in regards to um, play on esports for like say say Germany's playing Croatia. Would you expect that players do they do that in that in those communities like mimic what's happening in real life on yeah. esports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah because yeah. Um, good example is there's people who play Madden and they mm -hmm. they simulate Madden to tell you how the game is gonna go. Yeah, mm -hmm. because now you're able to build characteristics of players. You know, I, I I dabble with a few people that you know we probably know from Clubhouse. We'll jump in and play the NBA Finals. Yeah, just like we'll get five versus five, and then be like, "Hey, I'm getting on, you know, I'm getting on Cleveland, or I'm getting on the Warriors, or Toronto. You getting on opposite team, and we right. play, and we'll say, hey, this is how the finals actually could go.' Mm -hmm. um, gaming has gotten to the point. We got to understand now that they they're building these AI characters so realistic, the likeness. That was the issue with college football because likeness, players with likeness were being used, and they they weren't mm -hmm. being paid for it. But teams actually. I got baseball players that tell me all the time when they when they see MLB the show, they look at the pitchers. The batters, they'll say, man, I can look at that dude's pitch count or his what his repertoire is and say, hey, he may actually pitch this. Or the wow. way they feel, different things, their, their batting stance, the way they swing, timing. Um, basketball players, you know how to, me and Kevin Durant did an interview, he talked about that. You know, you can learn about how a player shoots by playing NBA 2K. He said, believe it or not, he said, you, you'll learn how to defend somebody doing that versus actually watching a video. So, wow. yeah, people, wow. um, LeBron James talked about playing 2K, how it helped him. Kyrie Irving does it, you know. So, yeah, it, it definitely, and I think in the world of esports, it could be something big eventually where we do have, like, that coastal, like, hey, we got Team Germany, which they do. They have opportunities where Team USA can go play Team Germany in such and such game, like a Call of Duty or something like that. Um it just comes down to certain like logistics, like who's playing on console and PC, because obviously like not everybody in certain countries have access to, you know, PS5s like we do or mm -hmm. vice versa. So, yeah, I think it's I think that's where we're going to have Olympics eventually for esports. Wow. I really think that's where it's going to be. I think esports will be an Olympic game. And look, honestly, it may be really fun because you get the guy that was the common guy. All of a sudden he's Olympic gold medalist for playing <laughs> Halo. And I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty dope. So to answer your question on that, yeah, I can see a, a world where we look up one day where they say, well, Team Germany has to go play Team USA in esports for FIFA. And I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think honestly, we're, we're, we're on that. That is foresight. Mm -hmm. That is going to happen, Chris. Like mm -hmm. you guys, Good Rookies, episode 97, the man <laughs> dropped the dollars. And, and I actually wanted to ask something. I really think what really helped esports was, was adding the social element. Because when before, back in the day, back in our day, guys, when you want to play with your friend, they come to your house, you get to play in the same building. Right. And the internet came around where you can now play your friend. My, my brother, they play Madden, and it's like 10 of them, and they run actual Madden tournaments <laughs> amongst yeah. 10 yeah. people. And they're all, over, they're all over the world, right? Yeah. And it's like, so you're still connecting with your friends, socializing, through the internet. So I think the internet really boosted esports to another level because that social media type element with esports and playing from your own comfortable home, I don't got to freaking travel to your house to play. I can play from here. I think that re re like revolutionized the entire, the entire sport, which now, you know, people can play tournaments in their comfort of their house and win lots of money. So yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm, oh my goodness, Fahim, I may have to do a Twitch thing still. I tell people all the time, like, you don't have to be good at gaming to be a part of the community. I think there's a thing where people think that I need to show up and be LeBron James of gaming, or so I'm not going to have a chance. Um, there's a lot of people out there that enjoy the common gamer, the everyday working person that may not have. Because you got to understand, those people who play in those events are typically, that's their job. Like, they don't go yeah. leave the house. And some of those people that I know personally that are huge streamers, they can't take a day off. You know, I got friends that have gaming channels with a hundred thousands of subscribers. One of them has a million. He says, man, if I go on vacation, I may have to do a live stream, like get, <laughs> at least take my camera so people can talk to me. He said, if not, I lose followers every day. The day yeah. I take off. That's money. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a job. And like I said, it could be, it could take the passion from gaming away on that end too, because you know, you're, you take something that you love and yeah, the money is great, but then it becomes your job. And you got to mm -hmm. clock in and play video games a lot. Like, look, man, you, the older you get, your attention span changes, you, different things change. So, yeah, esports mm -hmm. is going to be a big thing. And I, I like the Olympic idea. I think it's coming right around the corner, believe it or not. So mm -hmm. when it happens, man, it's going to be huge.
Mm -hmm. So I just very recently, maybe a week ago, um, had someone forward me. Scotty Barnes was on Twitch. Yes. And um, mm -hmm. it went, uh, so he was on before on IG when he was, uh, he was, I, I guess, was it, this uh, was in the, the Brampton man, right? Mm -hmm. So then yep. someone sent me when he was on Twitch, <laughs> maybe a few days later. And I, that's what kind of piqued my interest. And I said, okay. So I went on the Twitch and I watched Scotty Barnes play for, I don't know, maybe about 10, 15 minutes I watched him. It actually makes me think now, because you were mentioning, because I didn't understand the whole tipping aspect. Um, I have a quick question. Do you think while Scotty Barnes is playing, people are tipping Scotty Barnes while he's playing? Well, you got to understand, if you watched him on his channel, he has a subscription button, more than likely. You can watch it for free. But uh -huh. if you want to, like, maybe chat in the comments, and you're, a lot of people pay $5 just to have their comment pop up on the screen. Mm -hmm. wow. Like, there's a way right now, it's called a super chat, basically similar to that, where somebody can send it. It's similar, like, how they do it on YouTube, where you can pay, like, somebody's yeah. live streaming, you can mm -hmm. pay to have a chat, you mentioned, you know, people want to be seen. Think about this, man. If you're a Toronto Raptors fan or NBA fan, you can tell Scotty Bond, hey, what's up? And he looks at his screen, it pops up. And he said, hey, what's up, Chris? So, what's up, Nelly? You know, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, people pay the price. And look, yeah, Scotty Bond may not need the money like that, but look, that's what I'll see, right? I know some NBA players or, you know, major league players and all these sports that make tons of money off of esports because it's another job. Wow. Wow. My gosh. <laughs> Listen, honestly, guys, like I know people are like, what? This is happening in esports. But that's the thing is that if you're not in that world or you have friends in it, you, you don't even know mm -hmm. how that industry is booming, let alone the impact, right? And I think our era, the um, older, but we're more seasoned, we didn't we didn't really have this type of opportunity. But now your kids, your nieces, they, nephews, they have the opportunity to make money playing video games, more right. money than you can make being an administrator or a teacher. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. listen, man, y'all, we got a two. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so let's go, I guess, Fahim. So uh, you know what? Let's go to For the Culture. For the culture, we like to highlight individuals for the culture. And today we get to highlight Chris Henderson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, y'all, if you guys do not know, okay, hashtag C Hendo, S E E H E N D O, media personality, sports, gaming, sneakers, partner with God Bars Official, the DDT company, Mo Sports Talk, and he's an EA creator as part a network as well. So, Chris, we're so happy to highlight you today for the culture. First of all, we're so excited to have you on here. You know, I'm curious to know because, like, you're a sports enthusiast. You've been a huge sport fan. I'm curious to know where that come from. Was that from family members? Was it an athlete that kind of made you fall in love with the sport? Um, kind of walk us through your love for sports and how you got into this industry. Uh, yeah, man, as a kid, you know, growing up, my grandfather, I was raised by my grandparents. So my grandfather, huge sports fan. That's all he ever talked about. He drove trucks and he would have opportunities to take equipment to teams. So he's on the road. So um, I've had my opportunities of going to many ballparks, arenas, and, you know, different things. And yeah, I, you know, obviously growing up in that, being born in the 80s and then, you know, relatively being a teenager in the 90s, you know, I was lucky enough in the NFL world to have the Dallas Cowboys in my life, right? So, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, the Mavericks weren't a good basketball team, but we were season ticket holders and we watched them be bad. And I like, you know, Jason Kidd, me and him got a funny story because, you know, as a kid, I took a picture with JC. I was 11 years old when JC Kidd got drafted. And it's funny because there's a picture of me and him. I'm going to have to find it one day, but he's seen it before where me and him took a picture together. And I was a kid. He was a kid. He just got drafted, right? So, you know, it was kind of like it's it's sports, you know, brought me and my grandfather together. Um, you know, I, obviously, as a kid growing up, you played sports. Like, I, I tried to play football, and, yeah, I wouldn't try to take any hits. And then basketball was always like sport for it was it was a great sport for me to play. Um, didn't realize I was gonna be tall enough to play it, and yeah, I was like, well, that's not gonna work. Then baseball, you know, baseball was always the co the constant in my life. Um, my grandfather signed me up for t-ball, and the next thing you know, I'm coach's pitch, and then I'm doing machine pitch, then I'm doing this. So baseball was always like my my love, the sport that I loved. I know a lot about basketball, but baseball was my first love as far as sports go. And um, yeah, it just transitioned over to like realizing one day in high school 
when you're playing in like a state championship that you see some athletes that end up playing baseball in the major leagues, you're not as good as them. And you have to figure out, well, if I can't make it to the major leagues, maybe I can start talking about this stuff. And I took it to the side and yeah, just sports has always been about life. It brings us together. Like I asked people I've met in life, not just athletes and been blessed enough to make a lot of friends just because we got a common interest. And, um, you know, sports also, like I said, it teaches teamwork, you know, different things. And I thank my grandpa for that. You know, my grandpa, when he passed away, the, the, he told me right as like he knew it was his time. He was telling me a year before all this, he said, I got one request. And I was like, what? And he was just like, well, don't let them bury me in any military stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, that's weird. He said, I want to be buried in Cowboys colors. He said, my casket has to be this color and I want it to be cowboyed out. And that was his request, like dead serious. And when it came down to it, I remember walking in, I said, hey, y'all know what he wanted. And we had a cowboy funeral. That was cowboy funeral. So yeah, my grand I, I thank my grandpa for that, man, because like I said, you know, being able to sit down with him and he wasn't the old school guy that y'all know how it is with some of these old school folks. Well, back in my day, like he, like when I was a kid, Michael Jordan was God. I was a teenager. Michael Jordan was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. He didn't go stay with Will Chamberlain, you know, Bill Russell. He was like a Michael Jordan fan. And this is an old guy in his seventies and 80 years old who's just seen it all. So, you know, he was always appreciative of my generation of sports and he would tell me about players and stuff. And I had opportunities to meet players because of him. You know, him being a truck driver, he, you know, it was normal for him to go shake hands and see. I saw Ken Griffey Jr. as a kid to shake his hand, Barry Bonds, you know, seeing these players. Um, You know, y'all, you know, you're in Toronto and, you know, one of the first players I ever got an autograph on was Joe Carter. Joe Carter is probably one of the most beloved Blue Jays ever, right? Yeah, as I love kid. Joe Carter. <laughs> Imagine in 1994, you coming off a of World Series and the first person you get the chance to meet at a baseball game is Joe Carter and you get the fist bump him and there's a pitcher, you know, all this cool stuff. So yeah, like sports has got me there. And like I said, it just transitioned. When you sit in the barbershop all day talking about it, it transitions over to like you wanting to do it for a living. So yeah, mm -hmm. I thank my grandpa for getting me into the love of sports. What was your first obstacle? Because, you know, I could imagine, you know, folks that are our age, you know, wanting to talk about sports, be a creator, work with athletes, speak up, their, tell their story. Cause you know, there's always people in media that get slack talking about sports as well. What was the challenge for you to become a fan, but not objectively covering the sport? Cause now you can't be a fan anymore. You kind of have to have a bit of each, right? Walk us through that obstacle. Uh, just realizing that players are human. Um, I think most importantly for me, um, and that's probably been the reason why people always say you're cool with all the big time players. Um, you know, the thing that we, a lot of us do, and, you know, I fall victim to it is that a lot of times we, we get very emotional about certain players. We call these dudes trash. We do certain things. And I was in that stage when I first started, like, I thought I could just be shock jock. I thought I could be Skip Bayless, Stephen A. And it just ain't me. It's not everybody. Not everybody can get on there and just do that. Um, for me, it was, it was about just, you know, Getting over, I would say meeting the players, talking to them was a big thing at first because it was like, man, I don't know if I'm accepted in here because being like, you know, when I was covering back in 2009, it wasn't many young black people doing it. So I'm at this time 26, 27 years old. And, you know, I'm a young guy and I'm walking in the locker room. Funny story, my first game, I was thinking that you had to wear a suit to the game. So I come in there with a big baggy suit on, man. This that was a time. So mind you, and I'm burning up hot, and I'm noticing the players are avoiding me. They're avoiding me, like they were not trying to talk to me. So I never forget, man. I man, I look over and I see this guy named Bernard James. Right, he played for the Mavericks. They used to call him Sarge. And um, Bernard James looked at me and he said, "You good?" And I was like, "Yeah, man. I just want to talk to a player." He was like, "Man," he said, "Yeah, I can tell, man." He said, "You having a hard time, ain't you?" He was, I was like, yeah. He was like, man, you'll figure it out. Think of something unique. So I walk over to Phoenix's locker room, ironically. Steve Nash is the MVP of the league, you know, coming out for this stuff. And Steve Nash gave me some of the best advice I ever had because he sat there. And, you know, imagine if Steve Nash sitting in this locker and he looks up and says, you need me? And you're talking about a two-time MVP. <laughs> and I look at Steve Nash and I say, yeah, man, I love to talk to you. And I was scared for life. Didn't know what I was going to ask him. And, of course, I started going real fast, and he couldn't understand me. He said, calm down. He said, 
I know this ain't you. He said, the suit, all this stuff, this ain't you. I said, what do you mean? He said, Amari. Amari Starmer is right next to him. He said, what do you think? He said, man, come here with some J's on tomorrow. We play out in the back-to-back. When we come back, come in some, with some retros on. Watch how it change. And I said, I can do that. So, you know, after the game, I, I went home. I was like, oh, man, I had a chance to talk to Steve Nash. It was great. I said, I'm going to change my whole image and be myself. I walk in the locker room with Jordan's on, some jeans and a T-shirt, you know, have my cool earrings in or whatever. Every player in the world thought I was just the coolest guy in the world. I'm talking to everybody, you know, it was a great thing, and I and I took that advice with me, and I and I say that because the biggest obstacle a lot of people have is, what can I, how can I get into this game? And I say, be yourself. You don't have to be Stephen A. You don't have to be Shock Jar. Be yourself. And that was something that was my biggest obstacle because I was afraid being myself, being I guess you could say quote unquote unapologetically black, or being like the hip hop side of things or that culture that you talk about. It's not acceptable. Oh, it's way more acceptable to them because you're one of them. And like I said, I've taken that through my, my journey. And yeah, that was a big obstacle for me learning that I, I didn't understand that you can be yourself in that space and still be able to achieve higher goals. And a lot of people fall in that trap where they're stuck because they know they can't be Stephen A, but they feel like in order to get something going or, you know, get into the game, I got to be Stephen A. You don't have to do that. That really touched me, that story, because I think you know, being a black man covering, especially working in a predominantly, uh, which is crazy because working in an area where someone like you is not really seen, the mm. fact that being yourself allowed you to be successful, I think that's beautiful. And I yeah, think but- that's missed. I think people think that to enter a new, to enter that world, I have to be or speak or look or act a certain way. But the fact that you fully said, be myself, was how I became successful. I think that's beautiful, Chris, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, people said, I had a famous journalist who, he's very famous today. He's an older guy. He told me one day, I don't see how talking sneakers to the players is going to make do anything. Fast forward, ESPN got what? TV shows talking about what? Sneakers. Sneakers. The players were. They got a kicks cam. <laughs> Right. But when right. I was doing it, it was like it was like a foreign thing or going there to talk about video games. Now mm-hmm. you got people doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, never say that, you know, what you can bring to the game and bring to the industry. It may not work. It will work. I think that for us as black people, we got to understand that, man, we we are the culture. Right. Like we mm-hmm. we generate revenue for those companies. Those companies watch us and see what we do and say, hey, we need to implement hip hop at the NBA. We need to implement the dancing like. John Moran is us. You know what I mean? Like, those players are us. They just know how to play basketball. But we can beat John Moran and what we do and bring that energy, that style, that grace. So, yeah, just be yourself, man. That's usually the biggest obstacle for anybody. Nice. I just want to connect a little dot with the story here. Um, So, see how you're saying um, with uh, Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. Mm -hmm. And you had actually, you were in that position to begin with. so you mentioned how earlier it was uh, just uh, the love of the game um, that got you to that position. So I'm just wondering, did you, did you go to school for journalism or like how, like how do you get to be in that, you know, that, that position in the first place? Go ahead. That's a good question. You know, funny enough, I didn't go to school for this. Mm-hmm. I was a business management guy. Thought I, I can crunch numbers like anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, one day, I was at an autograph signing, being a Cowboy fan, right? You're at an autograph signing, and I run into this guy who was, who was, at the time, podcasting with a thing. He's like, I got a radio show, and you should come on sometime. And I said, why would you want me on? He said, man, I just saw you talk to the, to T.O., Terrell Owens, right? And I had a full-fledged conversation with him as a fan. You know, I was up there <laughs> asking questions, and I think the players thought I was a media guy. And then I remember, you know, a couple of NFL, it was Kevin Ogletree, like Pat Creighton, T.O. They were all like, man, are you a media guy? I was like, no. They was like, man, you probably should start doing that. You're pretty good at this. And I was just like, wow. So the guy, long story short, was like, hey, man, come to my podcast for a show. I was working at Best Buy, believe it or not, you know, trying to get my life together and different things. And, mm-hmm. you know, he said, come to my show one day. And I remember I had to take off work and that was rough because I was like, man, I can't miss no time. <laughs> <laughs> but I went out there anyway, and he had a player, NFL player out there, and I did one show, and 
his brother was on the show running the boards, and there was another guy there, and they would have turned the one show to like, hey, can you come back next Tuesday? What's your schedule like? I know you work. And I started doing it weekly, and, you know, we sat down. I became a part of the show. They made me like the producer of the show. That's what they gave me the title, mm-hmm. the producer show, come up with topics and stuff. And um, what ended up happening is, long story short, I thought in my head, well, we talk about this stuff all the time. Why can't we go to games and cover the games? I think we got enough work. And um, that was a probably one, one of the rougher transitions because, like, you know, you go to these companies like, you know, the Mavericks and, the you know, the Cowboys or, the you know, you go to Toronto Raptors and say, hey, I want to cover the team. The first thing they're going to ask you is, what have you covered before? I had nothing. Mm-hmm. So I had got this lady, and, you know, she's one that she just recently retired. Her name was Sarah Mel. She's now married. But Sarah, I reached out to the Mavericks. Out of all teams, I reached out to the Mavericks. And um, Sarah was just like, you know, cover the G League or the D League. It was the D League at the time. Cover mm-hmm. a couple games, get some work in, get your portfolio up. So we would go to the games and lollygag around, not realizing, you know. But then, you know, I run into Donnie Nelson, who's the GM of the Mavericks. And Donnie's like, hey, man, you come to these games a lot? I was like, yeah, I cover the team. He's like, have you ever thought about covering the Mavericks? I said, well, you know, Sarah, he said, okay, well, do this. Monday morning, you email me and CC here in the email. We're going to get you to a Mavericks game. And I was like, all right, this is a joke. And I was like, this can't really happen. And um, I emailed her, and she responded within two minutes and said, hey, congratulations. You know, you covered a couple of games. You covered a full season of the Legends. You did a great job, and we want to get you to an NBA game. So let me know which game on the schedule you want to go to. Pick any game. And, of course, I was like, I want the first game I saw, and it was Phoenix. So I was like, man, give me Phoenix. And, yeah, like, you got to – I tell people all the time, the thing that we went through as a struggle was we applied for every team, like the Rangers, you know, the Stars, the Cowboys. We got told no. Don't get discouraged when they tell you no. Because I think a lot of times people get mad and they say, well, they told me no, so I'm not doing no. No, nah, they're not telling you no because they don't want you there. They're telling you no because you don't have anything. So mm-hmm. – you know, you got to sometimes sacrifice. Say, hey, go cover the high school. We covered high school football. I covered high school basketball. I was covering semi-pro leagues. But the thing is this. I accumulated stuff. I started going on Twitter, finding athletes, DMing them, say, hey, man, can you come on our podcast? So we built this repertoire up to where you couldn't say no. So, yeah, you're going to get told no. And I still – look, for the most part, I go to every MLB – you know, every NBA game, mm-hmm. there are some things I get told no to still. And I just keep it moving, man. And eventually they'll say, yeah, because like for years I couldn't get into baseball. You know, as I told you, baseball was my first love. Mm-hmm. I covered the NBA almost 10 years before I started touching baseball. And finally one day, you know, a player, that's why I tell y'all, relationships mean a lot. A player of that team, he asked me, why don't you ever come to baseball games? I said, because they don't let me in. He was like, hold that. And he calls me one day and says, hey, email John, you know, PR guy, and we're going to get you in the game. Next thing you know, a game turned to a season, season turned to years. So, you know, just have your work ready. And I think that's how I got into it. Like, I didn't have any plans for this, but there's a gift for all of us. Like, a lot of us never thought that we could sit here and talk about the culture, talk about things, but we got a gift. And we all need to learn how to use that gift. And there's too much opportunity for us as being African-American, especially as I tell the women that are black women, you know, you got a voice. Black women have a strong voice. They got strong opinions. And I, I tell them, like, don't be afraid of this space. I know that it's going to be a lot of different, as I quote unquote, call them meatheads or guys that <laughs> want to undermine you. But you, you know what? You speak your mind. You keep it going. And like I said, you know, for me, like I said, it was, it wasn't a dream of mine. It just happened to be that I was good at it. And sometimes when you're just good at something, yeah, then it becomes a career. And you know, for me, luckily, I've been blessed enough to where. I've had advances, you know, I didn't really have a person like a big brother in the game. And I've always told myself, you know, I'm going to be that big brother to some young person that comes along. So a lot of young people like, you know, like today we got the wings out here, the WNBA team. They got a mm-hmm. game tonight. Yeah. There's a young lady who had never covered a game in her life. She's coming to her first game of the modern, my brand. But guess what? I don't want nothing from her. She ain't got to write nothing for my website. It's for her website. So I want, you know, we got to help each other. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing that I'm pushing now. So, yeah, for me, I didn't do I didn't go to school for this. Like, I don't even have a single degree. In, I didn't do anything in high school for broadcast journalism. I don't have anything in my repertoire for that. <laughs> yeah. So I've never done this. So, yeah, just time and trial and error and being able to hold conversations saved my life probably. 
from yeah. Best Buy to the league. Yeah, seriously, no, and like that. Like <laughs> Yo, I was that's a whole. I was book. literally going to Best. I was working. That's I, a whole book, I have bro. picture proof that games with Best Buy polos on at Maverick. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Honestly, y'all, this is why you're for the culture, Chris, because it's funny. Like, I didn't know your whole story, but I just knew that your story would be like impactful and inspirational and motivational. Like just all the, uh, all the O's, you know what I'm saying? All the, so, all the, O's, all right. the O's, like, <laughs> but no, I, I think, I think it's great because you hit on so many things that I think a lot of us in this space, those who are trying to get into the space, the, the, the whole concept of getting no's, Guys, you're going to get a no. You're going to get rejected. People are going to tell you, I don't know you. I'm not sure. Hold that. Let, let me think about it. Like, not everyone's going to jump on it yet. And I just think that we have to be patient and give folks a chance to catch up. Even though you know you're ready for it, they're not there yet. And I just think that was really good. The whole patience, accepting no's, pushing through, and also trying to be um, supportive of th those coming behind you. Right. So mm -hmm. I know for sure we're going to talk to you because we're about to cover our first games coming up this coming uh, coming coming months for a, a professional league in Canada. So I'm definitely going to pick your brain on just covering the teams and just kind of like kind of give advice as what to ask because it'll be our first time doing it at a live game. So, you know, it should be interesting. <laughs> yeah, my, my first advice to anybody for your first game, be yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, never think of a boundary, but at the same time, be respectful. You know, get to know those players. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is this, it's one thing to go up to them and ask them a question, but you want to be become a, a continuation. Yeah. Uh, it's not one chapter with that player. You want to be able to say, hey, one day I need you to come on our podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't need to just see you here in this workspace. You come to my world. Yeah. And that's something that you got to build on. Once you do that, because then you got to understand, people talk. The next right. player going to say, well, you know that? Nelly J, that you know, homie, you know, they pretty cool. We need to, we need to, you need to go on their podcast too. You need to check them out. And that's happened for me many times. Like, you know, I always tell Kevin Durant, thank you. Because, you know, Kevin Durant, even though I had interviewed some, a lot of guys before Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant was the one that sort of took the big leap and said, hey, I'm jumping on your first, one of your, your podcasts. And when he did that, Kevin Durant did that one at a time and nobody, he would talk to nobody. Man, and when he wow. did it, it was like, I told him, I said, you probably changed my life in many ways and you don't know it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, you know, he was, he was just all, he was laid back about it. And I said, you don't understand. You're Kevin Durant. I'm mm -hmm. just Chris Henderson. There's a big difference between us. Not, not anymore. Steve, I'm not them. So, you know, <laughs> that, but that became, as KD said, you're a real one. And when mm -hmm. somebody tells you that, you know, we, we know what that means. Right. So we got to keep doing that. And then, like I said, for me, my advice is be yourself. Mm -hmm. The way y'all are now, do that. Mm. Don't tell them. Somebody come to you and say, man, they ain't how that, that, that. No, do you. Because guess mm. what? While they telling you that, they're planning to be that way. They change everything for it, what you do. You're right. going to look up one day, the style that you interview. People going to be watching how you do your interviews. Mm -hmm. And they're going to steal that style. And like mm -hmm. I say, imitation is always best form of flattery. So right. right. <laughs> <laughs> like first is, right? That is true. That is true. All right. All right. So, well, yeah, that's why you're for the culture most definitely, uh, Chris. Um, actually, on the last thing I just want to mention in regards to the for the culture is, um, I find it, it's 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 ironic that you mentioned KD, um, you know, he helped you out. You mentioned Steve Nash, you know, he helped you out. And these are people that um, it sometimes it just takes that one person uh, to reach out because before you even you were saying the story with Steve Nash, um, you probably come across a few NBA players that didn't reach out, you know what I'm saying? And it was Steve Nash, the one that finally that one said, hey, you know, so sometimes it just takes that one person uh, to make a difference, as you mentioned. So that's amazing. Um, and it kind of makes me see things different because we also, when we mention these players, we mention them as on the court basketball right so when i hear stories like this it actually like humanizes the situation you know what i'm saying so regardless of like how one would think, think feel about steve nash as a player or as a coach hearing a story like this makes you like it almost humanizes him to say oh wow like that was dope he did that for you so i kind of feel like oh well like i, I see him in a, in, in a different light not saying i had a negative light before but now i'm seeing like oh wow like he's a good guy and the same thing with KD. People always talk about KD. You know what I'm saying? We hear about this story. It's like, oh, wow, like KD's a good guy. You know what I'm saying? So um, appreciate you actually giving that extra layer to these players. That's dope. No, nah, man, do what you got to do. Like I said the other day, we all relate. We got to say they're human. 
Like mm-hmm. you, you got all those hip hop, you got all that hip hop and different things behind you. I guarantee you go in that locker room and mention anything about a rapper, and that player looks at you, he's gonna say, Man, I listen to New Avenue. What you think about? It? Next thing you know, you're in a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you lighten up the mood because the players are gonna be uptight with you when you walk in. You're the media. And what I'm trying to do is break that 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 gap, bridge that gap that we got where the media can't be trusted or you can't media and friends or NBA players or any athlete can't be friends. And, you know, there's criticism I get for it amongst media people and even fans or the only reason why they talk to you because it's who you are. They don't really, you're not really a journalist. You know, I get told those things every day, but what? at the end of the day, man, I build a real, oh yeah. It, it, you're going to get it. The haters are real. Oh, y'all in the Gosh. game, man. Y'all mm-hmm. in the game. Look, you, you, you're official <laughs> when you start covering games. Oh, Just remember, you mm-hmm. there and they not there. There's a jealousy thing with that. So just yeah. keep, going, keep moving forward because guess what? Your biggest haters are your biggest fans because guess what? Every time they comment on a video about how they hate you and this, that is that is pushing the algorithm in your favor. <laughs> so, yeah, keep it going. Love it. <laughs> All right, man. So let's go, Fahim. You're muted right now, so you're talking to yourself. So, uh... <laughs> so you know what? Let's go to our last segment, um, which is that's absurd. That's absurd, Fahim, bro. What was absurd this week? What was absurd? So, as many have probably heard, the PGA. <laughs> has some new competition on the block. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> the LIV Golf is uh, the new competition for the PGA. And the commissioner of the PGA, Jay Monahan, he went on to say that anybody who goes from the LIV Golf and leaves, he referred to them as uh, rebels. So he said that uh, <laughs> these ones that left the tour and the free riding off the PGA Tour, I happen to think that that comment there of them free riding off the PGA Tour and calling them rebels, I kind of think that's absurd. Absurd. So you're saying mm. the PGA don't like competition. Chris, mm. what's your thoughts on this man calling golfers who are trying to just maybe expand their reach in their craft that they love rebels? Please. Yeah, but... You know, the thing is, like, look at the NBA and the big three, right? The NBA doesn't care what the big three do, but they, you know, it's there, right? Um, we got XFL, NFL type things, right? We got all kind of things, you know, Canadian football league, different things that compete versus each other. You know, golf is an old man sport, and it's a certain way they want it played. You know, when you look up and you start seeing the likes of, like, a Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, some of the greats, right, the best players in the world saying, hey, I'm going to go over there and check that out. And guess what? Money is being thrown. At the end of the day, as I told y'all, cash is the number one thing that brings anything to light. When you're throwing out money to some guys, like, look, he may not be the best guy out there, but if you throw him a certain amount of money, he's going to look at it differently. And look, this also lets you know the PGA has to grow. It has to grow and expand. Like, we, you know, baseball is starting to learn that you got to put some culture in that, man. And, you know, with Liv, they, they, they have a different outlook on things. It's, a bunch, it's younger, progressive different look and pga is still stuck in the 1920s the way they handle <laughs> things right like you know you the etiquette the style man like we want guys that have the swagger the hip-hop the culture like tiger woods changed the the, the landscape of golf and everything that's come out to him is kids who watched him so you know was with, with liv and different things the pga they gotta you gotta do better like if you're the pga think about this the nba don't care what the big three do it's the care. NBA. Exactly. They're like, man, you know what? Cool. Y'all can have the all season because when we come back, everybody's going to watch us. You know, mm-hmm. NFL looks at the XFL. Okay. You can have your little fun for 10 weeks, but wait till we get back. We got a product for you. You know, every sport has it, but you know, like I said, with golf, it's, you know, it's really bad. Like you said, absurd that, you know, you would make those comments. But at the end of the day, it's not shocking. We're talking about a sport <laughs> that is behind in times. You know, people joke about baseball. Boy, you should go look at golf. <laughs> golf is there. Ain't a lot of us out there, as you see. Mm-hmm. It ain't because, you know, it's 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 a barrier. There's a lot of things that pushing it. So, you know, one time for LIB for doing what they're doing and trying to, you know, push the game forward and give golf competition to where, look, you can't be complacent. Look, mm-hmm. you got to, you got to, you got to change this golf where people want to watch. Like, man, like at the end of the day, I hadn't watched, and I love golf as well. Like, I, you know, huge fan of, like, guys like, 
you know, Rory Sabatini, different guys that people don't talk about, just naming now some random names, but I can't sit there and watch golf all day. Right. You got to bring some excitement. I think that competition brings out good things. Maybe they do some, you know, adjusting to the rules, how it's played and different things. And, you know, money is everything, right? Like at the end of the day, we all got jobs, but guess what? The money come calling. Mm -hmm. We all got to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, man, that money is there. And like mm -hmm. I said, I applaud the golfers for doing it. They're breaking it. And, you know, any sport needs that. They need a wake-up call. So, yeah, it's absurd that he called them rebels, but I'm not shocked. It's golf. Yeah. Once again. Yeah, so and just to add some, some context to what you're saying, because, like, the PGA Tour has been around since the 1929, right? You kind of mentioned mm -hmm. that. It's been around. Um, so they have been dominating and in their sport. The LIV golf, that is actually – I'm going to ask you, Chris. You know, this is funded through uh, Saudi Arabia, right? Mm -hmm. um, finance, right? So it's not a North American. It's mm -hmm. a company – it's, like, funded through Saudi Arabia. Do you right. think that's why the PGA is so – angry with golfers who are predominantly white players who are now playing in a tournament or playing in a league that is not run by white <laughs> folks. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you think that's also a level, a layer of like, this is ours, we own it. So like, for example, right. Like, you know, um, like, like we have the soccer league in Canada, right. TFC and all the stuff happening in Canada, North America, right. Leagues happening but you don't hear the championship, the Champions League getting mad at these guys coming here to play, right? So it's like, why do you think that the PGA think that they own the golf and like it's like it's their sport? And how dare you golf and other like? Do you think it's because the, the 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 other league is funded through Saudi Arabia? Is there any type of element of, of racism in there? You think? I, I won't call it racism, but I also think that the golf know they messed up on the opportunity to expand the game internationally. I mean, mm. obviously you got like the you got the Riders Cup where, you know, USA or somebody will play against each other, but it's not to the extreme where, you know, that. And also, yeah, it could be an issue with, like, hey, man, there's a bunch of white guys up there, right? And all of a sudden here comes this, you know, this different-looking guy and you know, these different-looking people, and they have a – they got a chance to make a mark in this, and they're taking mm -hmm. away from our revenue. But to me, I think it's a great thing because mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, if you get a lot of golfers from different countries that go into the LIV, they're going to look up and say, well, PGA is still the number one thing. So I need to go over there and attack exactly. that. I want to win a Masters. Because at the end of the day, when you think about golf, you think about the Masters, how big that is, right? So, yeah, I think there's some racism involved with it because, like, at the end of the day, you look, we we still struggle in every other sport with having black ownership, right? Mm -hmm. Having mm -hmm. different non-us. And like I said, baseball, we're going to have a unique situation soon with Nashville with a black ownership. So, yeah, that's something to think about. But, yeah, golf is, like I said, it's golf. It's allegedly the gentleman's sport, and all we know from golf is this, not naming Tiger Woods, there's a bunch of white guys, right? Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. I said, the game has to grow, and like I said, yeah, there's some racial elements to it, but like at the end of the day, do better. Mm -hmm. yeah. Honestly, you're PGA. Why would you be worried about LIV? But exactly. you're worried about you don't care. No. Yeah, because you're, you're some of your former good, like Phil Mickelson, some of your top-name guys are going there. Why not let them do both? Exactly. And one other thing I want to mention is, LIV is paying a lot more, way more than the PGA. So, you know, as I say, money talks, right? So, yes, mm -hmm, most definitely. Um, all right. So, you know what? Amazing episode. Let's put this episode in the books. Y'all, that was episode 97. 97. <laughs> so, Chris, we love to give our special guests like, your ch like yourself a chance to do a shout out. So, the floor is yours. Mm -hmm. You know, first and foremost, um, I appreciate y'all having me on. Like I said, at the end of the day, I'm here for y'all. Um, you know, everybody that's watching this, you know, when, when this link gets posted up, you'll see me retweet this and everything. Be sure to subscribe to their platform. Uh, most importantly, nice. you know, at the end of the day, it's all about everybody growing here. So thank y'all, you know, for the opportunity. But yeah, but for me, you know, um, obviously, you know, shout out to everyone that supports my brand. Um, I'm very thankful for anybody that retweets it you know, put a like or comment, even just say, hey, you're doing good things. You, I see you, um, more importantly. But, um, yeah, you can find me everywhere. Obviously, C-Hendo, and that's S-E-E-H-E-N-D-O. You can Google that probably. If you go on YouTube, it's probably the most popular, cHendo.com. I'm everywhere. Like I said, I, I do it right now. It's baseball. We got the NBA drafting that. I'll probably be in some conference calls, post some content from there. Um, but, yeah, you can find me everywhere. But most importantly, follow our people here. 
They doing good stuff. You know, I never thought I would have friends in Canada, but now I got, you know, friends in Canada, you know, I feel a lot better now. You know, I've had my little rivalry with Canada, not with basketball. It's mainly hockey because I love all sports, right? And I got a friend that's from Canada, you know, you can't tell them nothing about hockey. So when Edmonton lost, I gave him a nice little text message, you know, I don't let him down. He's a Toronto fan. So that's already a letdown. He's a he's Toronto. They believe that's us too. Yeah. 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 I told Austin Matthews ain't got too many days. So, but <laughs> you know, shout out to y'all, man. Just keep doing what y'all doing. You know, it's not about me here. I'm happy just to be here. And like I said, yeah, definitely check out the platforms. Like I say, cheendo.com is the best way. But more importantly, support support these two right here. They're doing great things. Appreciate and it. We need we need to see them in the big screen. I'm I'm looking forward to about a couple of years from now. Y'all doing big things, not just on y'all's Ooh. network, but possibly somewhere big. And I, you know, we're gonna put that out there. Uh, nice. we'll, we'll we'll definitely connect off of this, and I'll I'll look at my contacts in Canada because I know a lot of people up there that do sports for the Blue Jays, different things. So we're gonna work some things out, try to see if we can get y'all in those spaces because y'all need to be there. I need more people. I, I want to be able to travel places, and see people <laughs> that look like me that I can say, "Oh, that's the homie there." Right. It's hard for me to go in this baseball space and NBA right. space, and there's not enough of us. So. Yeah, right. shout out to everybody. Keep doing the thing. Y'all inspire me. Oh Appreciate man, that. thank you. Uh, I can't even follow that shout out. My shout out <laughs> is everything you said. Uh, manifesting, believe me. But no, Chris, like, thank you for putting another. Like, I like for me, like this podcast is not just for us or about us. Mm -hmm. It's to really um, kind of center us. And I think today was a recentering spiritually because your story was just incredible and like we talk in clubhouse all the time but we're never going to talk about the things that you've gone through so thank you for taking the time to talk with us share your story and i know this is going to be a special episode that will be listened by a lot of people so thank you for taking the time really appreciate it and i wish you everything whatever you desire I hope the Rangers lose to the Blue Jays. I'm going to say that out loud. But no, um, I wish you all the best. <laughs> I wish I'm you all the best. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, that's another story. Yeah, that was, Ooh, yeah, I can't yeah, wait yeah. till we play each other. Okay. But no, but thanks, Chris. Honestly, see Hendo. Check it out. Gonna, we're going to have all his information, Twitter, Instagram, all his links, his YouTube channel. Subscribe to everything that he's doing, y'all. Let's support Chris up north. I'm going to pass it over to uh, Fahim here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My shout out is quick. Uh, first of all, Chris, uh, appreciate you coming out. Um, definitely uh, big ups to you. I also want to do a quick shout out to another Chris uh, from Hoop Spaces on Twitter. Uh, definitely somebody who, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a content creator, um, but much like yourself, he's, he's someone who's a giver and is really looking to elevate others around him. So I want to shout out him also. Um, I also want to do a quick shout out to uh, Malika Andrews. Uh, with the draft coming up tonight, she's the first black woman to host the NBA draft. And hearing your story just made me think about that uh, in regards to, um, uh, you know, someone reaching out. And I think being in these spaces, I think, uh, you know, her being a black woman and doing this, it's a first. And then we got to highlight that also. And on that note, I think we'll put this episode in the books. Guys, that was episode 97. 97. If you had a good time, you enjoyed yourself, please like and tell a friend to tell a friend for him. We are on all platforms if you're looking for us. That's Good Rookies Podcast, episode 97. Chris, we appreciate you, man. Thank and you, we Chris. out. Peace. Peace. Peace.